Hello, hello. Welcome to Words and Voices, a little sanctuary, a quiet nook where you'll hear hard, raw, and humbling conversations with some of the best humans elevating humanity. This is for the round pegs and square holes, the misfits, oddballs, weirdos, tinkerers, and thinkers who dig a simple philosophy that one word, one message, one idea, and one voice can change the world. So, without further ado, here's our chief mischief maker, Neelam Tawar. Welcome to part two of Neelam's interview with Landon Porter, who specializes in teaching business owners how to build their client base by using relationships rather than being salesy. In part one, they discussed Landon's concept of positive indifference, as well as the idea of focusing on value-based goals. You can find part one of that interview in episode eight of Words and Voices. Now, in part two of the interview, Landon describes the concept of God mode. He also talks about how meditation is a great way for people to connect with the bliss they are often seeking. There's a concept that I love that you teach, and everyone has different words for it possibly, but I've liked the way you have talked about it quite a bit recently, at least, and it's the concept of God mode. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to go crazy on that. Sure. See if I can put this in a nutshell from beginning to end to where it makes sense to somebody who doesn't have any of the context of me, I guess. So the starting point is this, and neither of these are wrong, but both of these are the two real possible answers. Something is bigger, greater beyond us that bestowed upon us the ability to have consciousness. That's one. The other thing is, is that through evolution, the happy accident of biology, our consciousness has emerged and there is nothing beyond us, power-wise, God or higher consciousness or whatever. So that's the starting point. It's one or the other of those. That's the only way we arrive at this place where we have consciousness in the way that we've got it. So regardless of which of those two routes you believe is correct, if you start with, I have this consciousness and in that I have me and myself and I, right? Me at my core, there's nothing wrong with. I am higher consciousness, higher self. I'm in the image of God, like whatever that is with no problem. However, we're human. So we have problems. So I break it down into the three main ego aspects, which are inner child, inner adolescent, and inner adult. And these three ego aspects are how we learned how to human in the world with and around other people. And to do that early on, somewhere up until about seven years old, it was everything revolves around me, right? The entirety of the universe. And there's no separation between me and the magic or God or whatever it is. It's just, this is amazing. Somewhere between five and eight, we begin to understand that we're one of. So it's us and our family members and the neighbors, right? Like before that age, we know that there's other people, but we don't have any concept of anything other than us, right? So it's totally self-centered as the little child. We begin to develop the foundation of identity somewhere between five and eight. Most people, it's between seven and nine. And that begins that next stage, that next adolescent, the ego aspect. And in that stage, we're really 
setting the foundation of our identity in place. This is where insecurities come from. Am I good enough? Do I deserve it? All of that comes in this transition to adolescent. And then wherever we're at in this current present moment, whatever our age is, this is our adult. So if you're 18 and listening to this, that's your adult ego aspect. That's the oldest you are now. If you're in your 70s, that's right. That's your adult ego aspect. So we've got these three ego aspects that together combine to form our identity. So deep down inside, when I pray or meditate or I connect to that, which is just absolutely amazing, that's my true me. And then to wield my being in the world, I use my identity. And most of us are so stuck in our identity that we're always trying to connect with God or higher self or whatever that is, but we're stuck in identity and we're always living in the future or in the past. And we're very rarely in this present moment and the future doesn't exist yet. And the past never happened. The only thing that actually is, is this present moment and each present moment scientifically roughly 90 seconds long. And it's what we do while we're aware and awake and conscious and present in this present moment that creates our future and as a byproduct creates our past. Most of us are living in this identity space where we're trying to be what we think other people think we should be. That's not true us. So we've got these two main versions of ourselves. I call them perspectives. And the exercise that I've been using lately is picture yourself in your living room and you're sitting on the couch and you're playing a video game. You've got a video game controller in your hand and you look across the room and you see you're playing yourself on a TV screen. So you've got you on the couch and you on the TV screen. Who are you then if you're aware of both of these versions of you, right? So the version of you on the couch that's got the controller is the true you. That's the one that has no problems. It's just everything is what it is. That's your source. That's your core. That's the God in you, right? Well, being able to recognize that and the version of you that's on the TV screen, which is your identity, the difference between the two is the gap. And being able to be aware of the gap in the present moment when you're experiencing life, when so-and-so says something or the neighbor's car drives out of their driveway and into your house or your dog gets out or the kids next door screaming their bloody head off because they're eight jumping on a trampoline, whatever that is, if, if you have the ability to become aware in that present moment and go, this is who I really am and this is how I am inclined to act or react or respond to those stimuli. The awareness of those two is what I call God mode. And the awareness of those two is being present of how you would naturally want to respond, right? You can see something happen. You said it a, a few minutes ago, when you're around little kids between five and 10 or dogs, it's just like, oh, you're in awe because, right? That's like pure, right? It's amazing. We all have that inside. Many of us have lived through enough nonsense and we're experiencing so much craziness going on in the world. And it's so hyper fast paced that we're stuck in our identity that we've learned as a coping mechanism to exist in society. 
And being stuck in that place, we don't have access to our power. But it's when we can develop a relationship with ourself, right? That inner part of us that is God or whatever you want to call it. We begin to be able to respond instead of react to things going on in our life. The ability to do that is God mode. It's like having all of the cheat codes to a video game. There are people on this planet that operate in that space. Look at Elon Musk, right? Look at all of these people, Brene Brown, um, Peter Crone, right? Tony Robbins, all of these people that are, from our perspective, playing the game at a huge level, really high level. They live in this space where they are more connected to that source within them than they are concerned with what's going on around them. And it's inside first and outside second. And outside second is really only in response. It's not a reacting to, it's responding to. It's the ability to create our own experience to the extent that we can. This reminded me of two people as you were, you were giving names and the way you were talking about it. Maya Angelou, I don't know if you've read any of her works or seen any piece of her writing. It's just beautiful. I heard her once say something beautiful. She said that, we must all have a place within us that nobody can touch. And every time I hear the word God mode, it's like what she's trying to say is that nothing outside of us has the ability to touch it, insult it, break it, or hurt it, or mess with it. And each and everyone has to, she didn't go this far, but I think what you're saying was like, you have to fight that fight to preserve that within you. And Nelson Mandela, why he came up for me too, is that, he talked about this concept of wherever you go, have a garden. So if you look at Nelson Mandela and forget the politics, keep all of that stuff aside and leave all of that, leave, leave that aside because I don't want anyone to listen to that part and think that this is, just don't diminish him right away. But, you know, think about him being in captivity, like he was, he was in prison. It was not such a bad prison, but he was in prison. Like if you look at a cell block, it was hardly like five by five or something like that, Right. But somewhere there, he was able to build his own world around him. And, and when he talks about garden, I think he means it both literally, but he also means it physically, of course. But what you're speaking to is it, it's reminding me of those two people, because in a way that in a way you're talking about that God mode part of you or the God part of you that's untouchable, that flourishes no matter what's happening around it, no matter if you're being vilified, no matter if you're being crucified, right? You preserve that part of you. Well, all it takes is practice, right? And our identity doesn't want us to do that because our identity thinks that if we do that, it's going to die. Existential death though, right? Yep. If you don't need me to be, then I'm going to die. And the identity, right? So the identity is the aspect of us that has all the issues. The identity of us is the part of us that had the thing happened when mom said the thing when we were four years old that broke our heart, right? And because of that, we created a coping mechanism to deal with people when something similar to that happens. Well, that becomes how we operate, how we operate is our identity, right? Our true us, the God in us or whatever term you want to put on it, doesn't need that. There's no problem with anything, right? If somebody says something that could break our heart, it is what it is. We don't have to let that break our heart. That's a choice, right? But our identity goes, no, 
she said this thing. He said that thing. My feelings are hurt. And now I'm going to be vengeful or right. That's the identity. And the identity is just all of the immaturity in us that has not yet been raised in appropriate ways. And we're all doing the best we can with what we've got, where we're at, right? However, we could always do better. And most of us don't take the time to look at our own BS and go, huh, I see a pattern there in how I deal with people. I see a pattern there in how I take care of myself. I see a pattern and explore those, right? And adjust those. And it's that adjusting those things where we're actually using God mode, not just being in it, but we're using God mode to become better versions of ourselves. You know, I also went back, as you're speaking, I also went back to core teachings of Stoicism because there is a, an overtone of that as well because, you know, Seneca and all these prolific thinkers, you know, talked about the idea of, yes, you might be in an experience, but that experience is the meaning you attach to that experience and therefore your reaction to what is going on is actually more important. And it speaks to a whole bunch of philosophies that I just love. And I find the way you teach it is so digestible, to be quite honest, <laughs> because I don't know. I think I've said this to you before, where I, where I said, like, if someone can explain something to you simply, that means it's taken them years to learn it or master it mm -hmm. or both. Right. And I think it speaks to that because you can listen to a concept and say, wow, that was so easy. Like, well, Of course I got it. But really, like, if you go and implement it, that's when you truly realize how much work it took from that person to be able to deliver the concept to you or anybody in the room in a practical sense that you can apply it. Because I think at the end of the day, you can't, I always talk about spirituality as a verb. I talk about my work in the world as a verb. It's not a concept for me. If I'm not doing the thing mm -hmm. while being in the right intention as I do the thing, because that's something I've always been very careful about. And luckily for me, I have a mother who who believes that she keeps me on the ground sometimes when I say certain things. And she's like, and I always joke with her. I was like, mom, feet on the ground, head in the air. Don't forget. And my mom laughs. She's like, how do you do this? And, but you need people like that around you too, right? It's because it's not, it's not just, yes, it is an individual experience, but then the people you surround yourself with, people call it your tribe or your teachers or whatever it is. Isn't that also important? Mm -hmm. Yep. It takes two to dance, right? So we need other perspective around us. So we have points of reference to understand where we're at, right? So because we're a social species, we use other people around us as points of reference to get an understanding of where we fit. And in that sense of using the perspectives around us to understand where we fit. Most of us are trying to find acceptance. Many people are going about essentially manipulating other people to try and get what they want, which is like me, love me, tell me I'm cool, right? When really what serves us a whole lot better is to identify people that we respect and value their perspective and then to use their perspective as points of reference to keep our feet on the ground while we allow our head to be in the clouds because it takes both, right? People with just their feet on the ground are missing so much. And people with just their head in the clouds, they're not 
quite right. <laughs> I've been both, right? Feet on the ground, head in the clouds, using other people's perspective to make sure that I've still got my feet on the ground and my head in the clouds allows me to really be freely who I am. And without those perspectives, you don't have the coordinates to go and my, are my feet on the ground. Like, yeah, right? I say that as a joke, but, I'm that. <laughs> but I have to say that because I'm like, mom, I'm always going to keep dreaming. And she's like, yeah, but sweetheart, like, you know, she says it in, in our language, uh, which is Gujarati. So she'll be like, sweetheart, like she'll say it in Gujarati and she's like, but got to keep your feet on the ground. And I was like, but at least let me keep my head, so my head in the cloud. Otherwise I won't know what I'm doing with myself here. And I think it also speaks to the people that I resonate with the most also, because I feel like, they're living in two worlds almost at the same time. They're inhabiting this one to add context and meaning and possibly in their own ways support the progress of humanity and whatever it is that they do. They don't have to be presidents and prime ministers of countries or anything like that, but they're doing it where they are. But the other side too is that creative mind that understands that you know, we're on this blue situation. It's spinning around <laughs> a few, few planets and whatnot. Like, it's a small experience in the grand scheme of things. And if you look at things in your life in the context of even how small you are, I'd done this sort of trip in the Himalayas. This was a few years ago. And it was one of the reasons why I continued keeping India as a base for myself, because I had this little whisper after I came back from that experience, which was about 30 days or so, trekking into some of the most treacherous regions. There's not even life there other than animals or whatever. Like you can't even see much of that. It's barren land. So we're going into these areas which are almost uninhabited and our spiritual vortexes, if you will, or carry some energetic weight for different religions and different types of believers in the world. And, and somehow it's a melting pot for about four religions, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm going through this experience and I remember one particular morning we had to wake up at two in the morning so that we could be at the next place we needed to be by about one in the afternoon. So we started at two in the morning. And just imagine you're, because you can't always walk in that terrain sometimes. So you have this kind of combination of a yak and a hybrid type of animal that you have to sit on, which did not agree with me. But after 20 plus days on your foot, walking kilometers, sometimes you have to do that. And it's also safe for other people as well. It's not just about you in those trips. And all you can hear is as you're on this beautiful creature is this bell that they wear around their necks, right? For the animal so that the animal doesn't fall asleep and just for a moment as you're on that animal's back on the right side of me was this ravine that led to a river of some sort but i'm talking about like at least 100 feet and to my left was this gigantic cliff that i remember the way i visualize it at least right now i remember it that way and i remember the only thing you can hear is like these bells in the morning. That's all you can hear. Even people are not breathing that loudly. No one is talking. Everyone's just going about their thing. The porter is with you. And I was like, just one tiny thing that could happen here. And you could be in the ditch or you could have your head hit against the rock next to you. And when day broke that day, as we were walking, you just see the majesty and the beauty of the world. And you see the sun rising. It fills you up in a different way, but it also makes you see in light. I could see how small I was in comparison to nature, in comparison to that moment, and in comparison to any experience I've ever had before that, because I was raised in a very Western world, even though I'm Indian, but I was raised in a Western world, right? So there's always a joke like, you know, I can say that here because oof, because I can see it. Like, you know, sort of like a like a coconut, like brown on the outside, white on the inside. <laughs> 
Have you ever heard this expression? It's <laughs> no, but you're my little coconut now. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so I always go back to that experience when I feel that like I'm pulled into an existential moment. You know, the thing that you were talking about, responding and reacting. And this is so important because I think I came back from that trip really losing my own identity and not hooking into any concepts of time or space or life, you know, none of that. I, I just became like this, this thing that existed, this person that's there, you know, just like a star, it's just there. And every time I think about who is in control, you know, that image that you put in front of us recent, just just a few minutes ago was the controlling, right? Like the, who has the remote control? And when you're watching that room, who are you in that room? I always want to be the observer and be in a position where there's no bias as much as I can be in any situation where I'm like, my God, I'm reacting to this. Like I got to walk away from it. But these moments, right? When you go into nature and you're lucky because you live in a beautiful part of the country, you're surrounded by a lot of this. I, I think, mm -hmm. yep. I don't know, man. Like I, I just feel like we're so lucky. I do feel very lucky. I mean, I feel lucky having this conversation with you, actually. Likewise. Did you ever need to escape reality? I've never done drugs. <laughs> Ever. Uh, not even to experiment. I just, um, but I'm, I'm interesting, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had to say that. So wait, I know you have, but I want to ask the question, how does that play into understanding yourself and as if you're listening to this, I'm not promoting it. I'm just asking for an experience here because I think everyone should know this, that many people do take psychedelics. Many people take some of these drugs to experience something a little different. So how does that fit into anything? If we talk about God, more positive indifference or any of these beautiful concepts that you so amazingly put out into the world day in and day out in different ways, of course. Mm -hmm. So... I think it was Peter Crone that said this in an interview I heard earlier this year, or very late last year, and it was very profound for me. And what he said was, and I'm almost positive it was Peter Crone. He was talking about why do some people get addicted to having sex or adrenaline, like jumping out of airplanes, rock climbing, right? Getting high or getting drunk, right? It's an escape from the mundane or the pain or the problems or the issues in this part of life. And what all of those things do for many people is it's a shortcut to connection to God or to heaven or to, right? It's you can drop all of the stuff that you're doing right this moment and you can be in that state of bliss, right? People that get addicted to heroin. It is literally that it's complete disconnect from everything going on and just pure bliss. Psychedelics from my experience are a looking beyond the veil, right? Kicking the door wide open to what is actually possibly real. And for me, I think meditation is the same thing. I think Psychedelics specifically are a shortcut way to connect with God or experience heaven or be connected to self on that deep of a level. And I think we all have the ability to do that. 
We all have the ability to do that without that, without those shortcuts. Most of us, from my experience, just won't take the time to face our own BS in a presently sober place because that stuff's scary, right? I think there's a lot of ways to connect. And ultimately what I think we're doing is, is we're connecting to our true self. We're connecting to our real self. And our identity is so fearful of God or real self or whatever term label we want to use doesn't like us because we are not perfect. And many of us have done really awful bad things to ourselves and others, to the world, right? And facing up to that, owning up to that, being there and available for judgment, it's too scary for many people to do that. So they don't take the time to develop and establish a relationship with themselves. And from my experience, drugs are a shortcut. I don't have to go through that process to have this blissful connection, right? And I think for a lot of people, that's what sex is, right? It's that it's connection and not with other people. It's connection with that part of us that is just pure bliss, right? I think psychedelics are amazing and phenomenal and not recreation for certain. There's a reason we have in all cultures globally, medicine man, shamans, right? Sages, like there's all these people, guides for that stuff. You can get there through starvation. You can get there through not having enough sleep. Like there's a lot of ways to get there, right? And it's not near as hard as a lot of people think. How many hours do you meditate a day? And I'm not talking about this in terms of competition, but you really do spend time sitting still, don't you? Yeah, I spend, I would say on average, I spend between four and six hours a day in that state. And I'm not talking sitting in the lotus position with the lights off and nothing going on. I'm talking not distracted with things, not engaged with other people, right? Sitting here at my desk, sitting on the back porch. I like timeout. I even have a t-shirt says likes timeout, right? I think it's more important for me to connect with myself and be okay so that when I'm with other people or connecting with other people, I am present and I've dealt with my shit so I can be available. Yeah. Like I think three years now, I keep my phone in my, my bag when I'm meeting with people, because I think for me, it's such a sanctuary I'm creating within, you know, or a sanctum, if you will, rather uh, when I'm meeting with people in person, especially because I've committed to giving that energetic exchange there. And I'm not trying to sound transactional, but I stay in my own world quite a bit as well. Like I try to make sure that I'm giving my attention and my time to the person fully, no matter what they're doing, because I'm not going to sit there and correct them. But, mm -hmm. but I know that in general, I think somewhere there's this understanding in the world around me with my family and friends is that her time is really constrained. So if she's hanging out with us, it, it basically means that she's actually blocked everything out. Because yep. I think, you know, you, you and I share that philosophy too about time, right? Like, don't be late, be on time, and don't waste other people's, you know, yep. time. Facts. Facts, right? Um, which, okay. So just a couple of other things I want to quickly pick your brain on is, so you've had a very interesting childhood, and you've not let it color your opinion of the world. 
And you were able to transcend some really not so pleasant situations into doing the work you even do right now, right? Because you're able to put yourself in a position to help people. How do people not get, and you can dis- disclose whatever it is that you want to, because, you know, you and I, we are very, <laughs> very open. So whatever feels good to you, you're welcome to share that. But I think I want someone who might be going through a little something right now, pure trauma, childhood issues, not had like the right people around them growing up and what would you say to that kind of person who is in that experience right now? What I would say is life happens and our ability to do with what life is and how life happens is what matters, not what happens to us. Right. And so I understand the question and I appreciate the ability to explain this or express this. An interesting thing, though, you were with us this last week in a in a fairly intensive class around this, but let me really paint the picture. My sharing of this and what I think this is, is we're all talking about the same thing from different perspectives, regardless of whatever labels we put on it. We're talking about the same thing. And humans, by and large, all have more than enough really awful things happen to them than they feel really they deserve, right? I think every human being on the planet could probably say that. My sharing this, and what I mean by that is, is as I collect information in my own search to better understand myself so I can heal myself or be a better version of myself or deal with my stuff, my search and collection and exploration of information, part of my process of understanding it at a more core deep level is expressing it back out how I understand it, right? So this is literally me in a very selfish way trying to best understand me. And because part of my process in fully understanding something is to then take what I understand, put it through my own filters and express it back out. I can do that with myself, but I don't get the feedback. I don't get the, "Eh, that made sense, but that didn't, that made sense. That made sense. How's this tie into that? So that forces me to go back through and and re-clarify or to dig even a little bit deeper or to further simplify it, right? So that's my process. It's really, truly more of a selfish thing for me in trying to figure out how I can stop struggling against myself, right? We all have this thing. And as lucky as we are, many of us have it really, really bad. As adults, the vast majority of us put ourselves in situations where we didn't need to and thus created the deserving of the crap that we're now going through. As children, I don't think that, well, those are the cards you were dealt and you're here to learn these lessons. I think there's really crazy stuff that happens in this world. And in spite of that, we have the ability to understand it, to heal from it, to put it into context, to rewrite our own stories, and to become stronger for it. And in that process of us doing that and becoming a better version of who we are, that is what sends ripples out. 
seeing somebody else go through a really horrible experience and come out the other side, not only still alive, but not hateful of life because of the experience really shows other people that, Hey, look, sometimes shit happens. And that's part of the game, but you don't have to let it ruin the game for you. And that's what I would say is, is, yep, you're in a 3d world right now. And this isn't, it's, it's not fair. Right. And there's a lot of really awful, bad things that happen. And on the flip side of that, that causes the contrast that shows you the light, like your trip, right? Um, we need the contrast as human beings to be able to see how amazing it can be. I totally agree. And I think carrying that softness in you, despite what you might have been through, I think the strongest people are able to do that. I see that in you. And I was reminded recently in a conversation with my mom, I was having a really tough week. Something had gone south and and my mom doesn't know about it, but I called her when we were talking about something just randomly. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's a mother thing. I don't know what it is or it's a connection thing that she and I have. And we're such different individuals. We're so different. And she, at the end of that call, she says to me two things. One, she says to me, keep room for love in your heart. Like no matter what's going on around you, sweetheart, because I know you're busy and everything, but just keep, make sure you don't forget to have love. Don't be in like this state of, you know, constantly moving in this direction because, Sometimes that does happen, right? I work in different time zones. You've seen me. <laughs> but that week was an exception. And she says this. And the other thing she said to me was anger. Anger is never a good option, usually. That doesn't mean you don't express it. But make sure that you're not expressing it to the person you think did you wrong. Step away. Have a dialogue with yourself. And my dad does the be- The other version my dad gives me is like, Take a pillow, put it on your face and just scream into it if you need to, but get it out of your body. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to say to the person unless it really is a relationship that you're trying to preserve and is needed because people are going to do things. You're not going to have control over it. That love and anger thing that just, it was so random, but what you're seeing, it kind of brings me back to that, that space of like, you can get destroyed on the outside you can lose everything that you worked hard on. Anything could happen. It's like you said, it's a game, but then that part, right? Like that softness within you cannot be turned into a bitter pill that only you get to swallow. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not a good way to live. I'd imagine. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Okay. Really quick. Your favorite books. And it doesn't matter what genre, like what do you still read? The Kaibalian. You're going to dig that. Okay. And then two others, Straight Line Leadership by Dusan Jukic and The Choice by Eliahu Goldratt. Awesome. Going to put those on my list. Mm-hmm. They're good books. If you haven't read them, you'll, I think you'll really dig them. None of them, actually. I've heard of Straight Line Leadership because it shows up in my mm-hmm. uh, recommended reading. Yep. Read it. Okay, I will. Promise to. <laughs> Hey, um, I'm curious, why did you say yes to this conversation? Because, you know, I don't take anything for granted, right? Like, you know, the first time I ever wrote to you, I've actually, you must have that email somewhere. I'm like, I was crying when I was sending you that email because I didn't know I was so vulnerable sending you. No, Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're here. But why did you say yes? I've actually never asked this question to anybody, but I will ask you. I value you being in my world. 
And as we've connected over the last, what, five, six months, seven months, eight months, something like that, maybe even a little bit. Yep. As we've connected and, and built our relationship and our friendship, I appreciate you. And when you asked if if I would be on your show, it wasn't. There was no question. Of course, I thought it was because of the oud oil. Nope. <laughs> nope. You guys, you guys, I'm going to be coming back to the states with a disproportionate amount of oud oil that <laughs> Mr. Landon here consumes, and we always, I always look at it. I'm like, I don't know why you like this thing, but mm-hmm. I'll have to put myself through that experience just to bring him back a box of an assorted version of oils from this part of the world. That's awesome. Yep. Nope. It's not because of that. It's not for any reason. We have good conversations every time we talk. That's why. I made a joke and I won't tell you to whom I'll, I'll tell you afterwards, but I was saying that if we ever hung out in person someday, like we we're hanging out together, I'll take a picture of the two of us and I'm going to put it on my social media and write a question. What do you think these two have in common? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> We're the unlikely of friends, the unlikeliest of friends. But in many ways, we are, though. Like, I think, you know, you and I, our paths were meant to cross for sure. And I think there's this thing you speak about where you talk about, like, I remember you'd messaged or over IM once and recently before, you know, what led to that that group setting that we're in. And, and I was already thinking about you because I wanted to invite you to the show, but I also wanted to ask you some questions. And I remember I was like, dude, do you have like a <laughs> have you big brother at my house here? <laughs> and you were like, no, I'm just like, dude, I'm just connected. And when I saw that, I still have that line. I, I, I know exactly where it is in my inbox. And I was like, absolutely. I think there's something to be said about showing up as who you are, despite all the things that you've gone through, but still showing up and being comfortable in your skin. That leads to more of these experiences where, you know, you just organically attract these you know certain people in your world and i feel the same way about you because i just feel like if you don't have like a visceral connection with somebody i don't think it's worth it at this point in life for me or in business in general mm-hmm. yep right yep we're on the same type of path at the same frequency or vibration in many ways and that's part of why we relate and that's why i love having you in my world too nice <laughs> Well, I could talk to you for another few hours, but I'm going to save it for another round, though. I'm sure I'm going to have other things that will come up. But thank you for being here. I value your friendship. I value your wisdom and your really offbeat sense of humor, which is my thing, really. (laughs) Thanks, dude. Likewise, I appreciate you having me on your show and being interested in having a conversation with me. Uh, And Really quick. I don't know if people I have to. Sorry, I have to say this very quick. The reason why this podcast is even around is because of two reasons. One I've expressed a while ago, which was something that had happened in India. But the second reason actually is I was in a conversation with Landon, actually, and we were talking about certain things. We were just having this like regular conversation. And I said something to the effect of, I should be doing more to be reaching out to people and bringing conversations that matter into the world in my own way, because I don't know if I'm writing at this point, but I should do something. And I think I even said the word podcast and all Landon said back to me was that as he was, as he was like lighting, <laughs> lighting his, his pipe on uh, a little bit of fire once again, uh, he says, um, is it, what is the right expression? Is it stoking, stoking the tobacco? I don't know. Is that the word? Yep. 
Okay, sorry. Um, so stoking the tobacco, he says to me, just looking at me, raised eyebrows, with a lot of compassion on his face, he says, why aren't you, dude? Mm-hmm. And then I said to myself in my head, I was like, why aren't you, dude? <laughs> and, and here we are. Mm-hmm. So there was no way I would not have reached out to you. And I had not prepared for a response that you would say yes or, or anything. I just knew I had to at least ask. And so for anyone who's like listening to this, Landon is pivotal in, in this happening because it, it came as a result of the conversation and it wasn't the easiest time for me at that moment in all the things I was creating and all, all my, my head was wrapped up in so much at that point. And this is my playground, really. This is where I get to play with people I love. That's awesome. I'm happy for you and proud of you. And I'm glad that you decided to do this. Okay, now to go, go. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that emotion right now. <laughs> right. But thank you. One of these days you'll be able to receive stuff like that. Well, yes, I, will. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Landon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on the show. Peace out, Cub Scout. Peace out, bro. Thank you for listening to part two of Neelam's interview with Landon Porter. Now, don't forget, you can hear part one of the interview in episode eight of Words and Voices. Thanks so much for stopping by Words and Voices with Neelam Tawar. We can't wait to see you again with another voice and more words from game changers, movers and shakers, and quiet visionaries creating a dent in the world. Oh, and please don't forget to comment and share what resonated with you here or on info at neelamtawar.com. Till we meet next, and as Neelam says, be good to you.